timer normally comes up on the thing to say we started recording and I can't see anything. Is this just a new layout? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, no doubt you'll leave this bollocks in. I'm going to leave. You so are, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. You're such a prick. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Football Unfocused. Um, a professional as ever start. Matt, so Matt finds this, he's so pleased with himself when he gets the opportunity to highlight our incompetence. Like, he's just, already, it's been worth doing this, this podcast on a hot this summer's This is going to be the best lunchtime. bit. Yeah, this will be, well, this will be the, your biggest contribution will be to fuck up the start. To allow yeah. the start to be fucked I, up. Just, when, just quickly, in case you accuse me of not on, introducing the podcast properly, oh, yes. this is, if you're listening for the first time, you know, God forbid, and heaven help you, but this is essentially a podcast where we try and talk about football, but Matt isn't really interested. I'll ask him in a bit if he's watched any football, have anything to say about football. He'll almost certainly say no, but I bang on about it for a bit, and that sort of facilitates it. And we also <laughs> talk about some other sort of, you know, flim-flam to sort of pad it out and make it entertaining or vaguely entertaining. There you go, summed up. Back to you, Matt. Uh, just thinking about what I was going to say, but actually it's not quite that interesting. It was something of, yeah, no, actually it's not that interesting. Brilliant, there you go. Sure. An insight into Matt's contribution there. Even when he thinks he's got something to say, he sort of loses confidence in it. <laughs> Ten seconds in and just stops. Wasted time. That's probably killed a minute. Uh, okay. Uh, we've not been doing these as regularly during the summer because obviously there's not a huge amount going on other than the women's Euros and the transfer market. So uh, we've just been doing sort of as and when we can be asked. If you haven't listened for a while or you've not listened before, I always begin these podcasts because Matt is a mysterious character who uh, doesn't really give much away in terms of his football-related contribution. So we get to the to the real crux of who he is by asking some insightful, everyday questions um, that will open the door to all things Matthew. This week's questions. Matthew. You've got a red book. Have you purchased that? No, no, no. I've always questions. had this red book. It's just, you've probably uh, never noticed it before. It's normally <laughs> hidden down below eye level, but yeah, showing off that your eyesight's still going strong. But you've spotted <laughs> my red great. book. Yeah. I know. Is that what you write the answers See, into as well? In the old, yeah, in the old days, I would have... No, no, I never write down your answers. Yeah, which is why I can never really remember uh, what you've said. Because um, sometimes I actually write down a question. A lot of the time, we start recording and I still don't know what I'm going to ask you. But if I've written them down... I'll often think, fuck, I'm sure I've asked that before. Because the questions are so arbitrary, like, what's your favourite shower gel? And, you know, do you like garden <laughs> was... furniture? When was the last time yeah. you paid in cash? <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't fucking remember whether I've asked yeah. you that. Because the, the answers are, I mean, I remember the ones to which you got an extraordinary answer about your anus uh, hygiene or I know. Or our like friend, that. Our friend just wrote uh, on our group WhatsApp, he was just like, it was a couple of weeks after he goes, oh, just listen to the uh, podcast. Um, oh, Matt. No, I think it was, I think it was Jesus, Matt. Oh, like, Jesus, yeah, Matt. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, I mean, people are, you know, it, your openness, uh, literally in the case well, of your uh, anus, yeah. uh, is really uh, admirable. Um, or no, notable. Thank you. Notable. Thank you. More than admirable. Question one this week, Matthew. Matthew, this week has uh, obviously seen record temperatures in the UK, which we've all been really enjoying because we're definitely um, prepared and built for it. <laughs> um, in the heat, we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, Thursday, the was it the twenty first? First. Monday and Tuesday were the hottest days on on record during that time. Matthew, up in uh, hot and sticky Glossop, what was the sweatiest <laughs> part of your body? 
Um, it was definitely the uh, the gooch. You know, do you know that area of your the body? Gooch. You, do you it's know, not a term. I mean, I know Graham Gooch, um, the former England what is, <laughs> cricket captain. The, the, it's called the perinella. Is perine- you mean the area between your bollocks and your ass? Your yeah. undercarriage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I remember so I woke you, up what, you had sweat pouring off that, dripping off that, did you? Che- well, it just... It was... It was... If I walked too much during the day, so I, I had to pick up something in town on that day, and it would just... The, the abrasion... <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Um, the abrasion between my legs was just... The chafing was... Oh, it's awful. And and then I woke up the next. Hold on, on I would Tuesday describe morning. myself a thicker set than you, right? So I've got a bit more. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's it? not because of my thighs. I've got that a bit was more just because my, my pants were than you. And yet <laughs> yeah, I don't right. find myself chafing in the hot weather, despite no, the fact no, no. that all of my uh, all of my gussets perish on boxer shorts and shorts. I can't have a, or and jeans. I can't have a pair of jeans without having to take them to the dry cleaners for repair after about six months of, of wear. But yet you and the hot weather. Uh, yeah, seem to be really suffering down there. What's what's going on down there? Uh, well, with you? Is, maybe is it your low hanging the, the ball sack. <laughs> <laughs> I need to ask Joe if that if it's lower hanging than Just usual. Look in the mirror, but... mate. <laughs> yeah, but how would I know? Well, how would I compare? I'll, I'll come round and hang next to you. <laughs> we'll get some local lads See? as well. See, I told you. We can all line up. Uh, all, the local lads. Lads. all the lads. <laughs> but maybe I I perspire particularly sweaty. Um, sweat, um, particularly salty. Sorry, that's the word I meant. Particularly salty sweat that creates an abrasion, mm. unlike many others. Have you tested um, the salt content of your sweat? Have you maybe uh, you know, again? How would it, I compare? Well, you could let it drip into a cup and do a shot of it. I <laughs> wouldn't put it past could... you that. No, but when you were talking about other local lads, it reminded me of. A t- I was thinking of a time. I've told you about the time I used to do. To earn a bit of extra money at university, I used to do police lineups. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. Oh god, that's a rich tapestry. I've never really. I should start tapping into that and asking you questions <laughs> about that. That's incredible. Yeah, police lineups. And oh, um, but there were quite a there were quite a motley crew of individuals because it was it was slightly a circuit kind of mm, <laughs> feel to yeah. like extras. You and, see the same people. Yeah, every set. yeah, and it, and often if they weren't. The um, accused, they were one of the volunteers to join in the lineup yes. themselves. Yes. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think they sort of thought me as a kind of a, you know, a slightly, I don't know, a bit of a student y type, yeah, twat. you know, twat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that I don't think that I quite got accepted in the same way. So you were, you would have been standing in the lineup every time, assuming that the right person was under investigation. That you'd be yeah. standing next to some potentially violent criminals. Yeah, and you know who they are because you they stand in what front of you, nut you with their solicitor. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he seems yeah. violent, is it? Yeah. No, no, it wasn't it? You obviously just provoked Which one was me? Yeah, it's the one who went by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was that one. <laughs> yeah. The one without sort of uh yeah. Do you when they're walking bruising. along, do you sort of so like they, they nudge your eye they... to your right yeah, or left? That's go, it. Well, that's you are just like <laughs> <laughs> Because, it, yeah, so they stand in front of you with their lawyer and then they'll choose who they stand by and then they'll do it. And I remember I got... Um, 
I was one of the first who was like, no, I don't want him in because he looks nothing like me. So they get to choose um, a little bit who, who they want in. And then they can swap their places to try and make it a bit more tricky for the for the witnesses to and they get to, to pick the same over. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it just I can't but think it's of all gone di- more than to look at a line. I know, but it's all gone digital it. now. What? Like, just flash them up like like it's like yeah, Tinder. yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't get you don't get ten or because you used to get ten pounds for turning up and twenty pounds for being in the lineup. Right. So there was an incentive to try. Did and you fit ever get in. picked out? No, that is often a question I got asked. They were like, "What if you get picked?" And you're like, "Well, you have to go to prison." Yeah, <laughs> but that's the risk you Risky take. take for a tenner. <laughs> yeah. Okay, where? How we got there Sorry. from? What's the sweatiest part of your body? I've got no idea. <laughs> Matthew, question two: uh, Does your diet change during the summer months? And if so, how? Um, I probably eat. I've been eating quite a lot of crackers, but I don't know if that's because the salt. In the crackers, mm. and yeah, because there's nothing you crave we... more when it's really hot and dry than some really, you know, dry, crispy. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, like, fuck I mean, me, I'm thirsty. They are like notoriously <laughs> the driest thing you can eat, aren't they? Like they're, because they're yeah, yeah. so difficult. They'll do like a challenge of how many you can eat in a four, minute. Four crackers in a minute, yeah. I think it is. Which sounds so. So when you've already cute. got a dry mouth yeah. and everything's dry and hot, <laughs> yeah, give me a cracker. <laughs> Mm. But that's like crisps. Crisps are quite dry, and, and I have a craving for those. But, but I guess that make, is also that the makes salt. more sense. They're very salty. Are crackers salty? If you get salted crackers, salted crackers, yeah. <laughs> like Ritz, mm. they're, they're Ritz crackers. Other crackers are they're available. Cr- we've not been endorsed by Ritz. <laughs> Ritz, we're open to sponsorship. If, um, if you're listening, but you know, bid high. Because yeah, okay. we don't want any time wasters. If we're going to sell our name to the Ritz brand, it's, you've got to go big. Yeah. Good. So that's it. You eat a few more crackers. Like there's uh, no, a few more. Uh, you know, no increase in salad intake or, you you know. I find I eat a lot less carbohydrates. I'm not like normally if I have like some fish or some chicken or whatever in the evening, I would have, you know, some rice, sweet potato, whatever, and some veg. Whereas now I'm just having the veg and the, yeah. the protein. I do, th- yeah, I do sort of think, oh, I'm sure in like s- South, you know, Mediterranean sort of countries, they'll be just having a salad. But then I'm like, oh, but can I be bothered to make a salad where I could just put a jack of potato in the oven for an hour? And and then that clinches mm. the deal in yeah, terms of what I end up eating. Jack of potato on a hot day. <laughs> I know, like you just chop up some stuff, throw it in a bowl, toss it together, stick a bit of dressing on it, and it's done in five minutes. <laughs> you <laughs> Next question. Final question, then we'll talk about some bloody football. <clears throat> Matthew. We don't have to do three. We, we do. <laughs> because I fucking said so. Because <laughs> I wrote... Yeah, Exactly. Uh, and this is the, you know, the always, I always drop in a, you know, a sort of, you know, uh, a, a current affairs a what question. if. Yeah. yeah. Do you think both Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss are sufficiently oh. unsuitable for the role of Prime Minister to ensure that they continue the slow destruction of the United Kingdom? Oh, you are such a, <laughs> you're such a, mate. Are you, what? are you not going to answer that question, Matthew? No, are you know I'm going to fudge you, that one. You must have fucking yeah, written that. Smiling, that. Thinking he's so self-important <laughs> he's that he's not a... going to answer that because he thinks that he's some sort of in person. <laughs> Somebody matters. Well, I'll answer the question. They're both a couple of fucking nut jobs, and uh, I could because I can say what I like. I'm not bound by anyone, and they're both they're both 
completely compromised by their uh, history, their personal circumstances and uh, their conduct. The fact that they have propped up the most morally and actually corrupt prime minister this country has ever had and, and incompetent prime minister this, this country has ever had. A shameful, disgraceful stain on our history. They have both been two of his biggest cheerleaders and they are now tearing each other apart in debates in the quest for for nothing and, and for nothing more than just to be prime minister there's no kind of big idea behind it there's no project there's no there's no momentum there's nothing it's just like we've been in charge for 12 years it's been terrible we've had austerity then we've had brexit and then we've had covid and the awful reaction to that and then we've had now massive inflation and uh but it's okay because we got some vaccines out quickly and we delivered Brexit even though it's ruining our country and we, we refuse to kind of, you know, accept that. But it will all be all right now because we'll get a new new person in charge just saying, saying they want to lower taxes, uh, which is definitely what we really can't afford to do when our economy is tanking. So, uh, yeah, onwards and upwards. It's going to be brilliant. And uh, I am look forward to either of those two uh, taking charge for this new <laughs> proud chapter in our recent history. It's been, um, yeah, especially Liz Truss, you know, a woman whose most notable contribution to politics up until this point, other than the fact over the last six months she's taken, um, been taken on by a PR firm that have changed the way she dresses. She's launched an Instagram account to turn herself into some sort of Margaret Thatcher uh, wannabe sort of Bodicea on like tanks in Ukraine with the sc- headscarf, you know, and all that. And she's actually lowered her voice by uh, at least two or three uh, sort of octaves to go down that sort of thatch. She used to have this quite screechy voice, and uh, which which relates back to her famous contribution up to this point, which was to when she was Secretary of State for um, was it food and whatever. Or no, or maybe even a shadow one. A few years back at Tory party conference, she said, uh, <laughs> "I've been in China opening new pork markets," and <laughs> did this mad smile, fixed smile, like a ventriloquist dummy to camera, and just held that weird stare for ages while the crowd sort of half-heartedly applauded. And then she was going on about cheese, and then she said, "We import, we import more cheese than we export in this country. That is this." Disgusting. <laughs> that, that is a disgrace. A disgrace, that's it. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of things to get angry about, but us importing more cheese than we export is definitely, um, definitely, up, you know, it's definitely on the top of my list of things that make me angry. Yeah. Matt, right, football. Um, yes. Anything you want to say about football? Well, surely coming off the back of a, a great victory for the England team yep. last night. Yeah. Did you watch the match? I did to watch oh, the whole wow. match and, and extra time. Excellent. <laughs> wow, you love saying right, what, what do you want to say then on it? Um, I thought Spain were very, very good. Yeah. It was, really, it was there was a real contrast of styles. I don't know. I, I don't want to say too much because I will just sort of show myself no, up for a bit. All but, content, Matthew. <laughs> but there was, um, yeah. I just wonder whether there was. You could see some of the. Um, differences in style where England possibly reverted a little bit to the long ball mm-hmm. um, especially at the end when they were sort of just holding out uh, for the win um, and the Spanish team were just very 
you know, there was the real feel of ticky tacky type football. It's weird, isn't um, it? Because you'd, you'd very think, technical. Yes, and... it is almost like the archetypal Spanish male footballer and the archetypal English male footballer yeah. are, did, have just been transferred into the women's game. It's did you did you did you think that? At I was all, sitting or? there saying exactly the same thing to Kelly when she was kind of half <laughs> oh, interested wow. in looking at Instagram while I was banging on about it. I was sort of saying, "Look, these you know this Spanish." Yeah. The thing is, you could see that if England equalised, the, the, the Spanish were going to kind of fall into that trap of because uh, then they started. They were they kind of too open to the counter attack when they had to open up again because they were defending quite deep once they got themselves mm-hmm. ahead they were defending really effectively and England were doing that I was compared to like uh, when Liverpool lost to Chelsea in 2014 after the Gerrard slip they went behind relatively early that Gerrard slip was only just before half time so they had a, more than a half to kind of sort, you know just compose yourself and play your normal way and you'll you know you'll get a goal but they you start to panic the long, you know, with every minute that goes by that you haven't equalised, the crowd get anxious and that really feeds up and every, you, it affects your decision making. You start going for glory passes and glory shots that aren't really on rather than just playing your normal game. And I, I thought England were really falling into that trap. But then once mm. they equalised, and that was a relatively physical goal, wasn't it? It was a classic kind of English goal. Ball across the box, a girl goes up for a, uh, a header, knocked down, and then there's someone to sort of bash it in. And the Spanish centre back was complaining about um, over like used to yeah, elbow, which, which was box, yeah. by the way. It was never a you know that, you know even, even you know you, you have to look at that completely sort of independently. That was by no in no standard of football was that a foul. Um, but then I thought that once England equalised, it was only really them that were going to win. But oh, there's no doubt mm. that over the course of the game, Spain were better. But mm. when we say better, sometimes that's probably better just stylistically. I enjoyed watching them more. They were they were tidier. They looked like they had more shape, mm. more of a game plan, more the type of football I like watching. But you know, fair play to um, England. And I think that the I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on women's football. I'm not going to pretend that I've been watching loads of it. I've been you know most days when there's a game on, I'll have it on for a bit, watch a bit of it, and I'll always be aware of the result. I'm really looking out for I'm very interested to see you know things like attendances type of people demographic demographic of the crowd you can you can judge a lot of that not just by when they do camera shots but also the sound of it and the general atmosphere inside the stadiums and I think if England had got knocked out um on the on the first knockout match it would have had a detrimental impact on the tournament because I think that mm. any tournament benefits from the host nation kind of progressing quite a long way because it keeps the public involved and I even though it's clearly been a success so far it's still not comparing it to the men's game is futile and and actually quite reductive and pointless because they they are completely different sport well it's obviously the same sport but you know what I mean they're completely Mm -hmm. different coming from completely different positions but you know when, when you compare to like last summer when England were progressing to the Euros final and a lot of the games were in this country um it's 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 incomparable, isn't it? Because that was like everywhere, and you know you mm, couldn't mm. kind of move for. I know some areas of the country maybe more than others in terms of like the the flag waving and all that shit, but uh, but you, you just felt everywhere's involved. You know, there's big public areas of ma- massive screens up, and people are gathering in pubs are packed and all that. And I, you know, walked back, went out for a bit of dinner, so I missed the first twenty minutes or so yesterday, and we were walking back. Um, 
me and Kelly home, and we went past two bars near us. One of them wasn't... They've got like a screen that they normally only ever show football that's on terrestrial TV. They they don't have like Sky or anything, but so it was obviously on the BBC, weren't showing it. And the one they weren't showing, weren't showing it. it that didn't even have the telly on. The one next to it did have the football on, the, the, and as a result, their bar was m- more full than the, the bar next to it. But I was looking at the people in there, and I'd say only probably it wasn't exactly packed. It was fullish, but not packed, and only probably mm. about fifty percent of the people were actually watching the game. Um, it was nil-nil at the time, so maybe it was a reflection of the state of the the match. But it definitely isn't, you know, having mm. that massive breakthrough um, but it's all relative isn't it and the fact is that they're filling the England games anyway filling the stadiums they're, 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 they're playing in and that's only going to kind of increase now from the, you know obviously the semi-final and you know the final will be a sellout probably regardless it probably already is a sellout um, but some of the other matches have been played quite controversially at like you know what, what, Manchester City's training ground was used for like two of them which can only get like a sort of a couple of thousand in and some people have argued that that's a poor choice and, you know, you're, you're immediately limiting the um, opportunity mm. to kind of get more people in for that, those matches. But, but Jay, yeah, Jay did say she was like, why are these not, why are they, why are they not at Wembley? Well, you only, you'd only play a final at Wembley, wouldn't you, anyway? You can't play all yeah, games. Yeah, but I said, oh, and maybe it's cheaper as well. But they're not I using, they've mostly used kind of more, not, not like the major cities. So the opening match was at Old Trafford, but they've not, used uh you know kind of like uh, london birmingham manchester liverpool leeds newcastle they've been using like sheffield and brighton and milton Keynes, and the grounds in london they've been using like brentford they've used quite a bit which is a nice tidy modern stadium but it is only about a 20 20 odd thousand capacity kind of on the fringes of west london and i suppose you could argue do it at a smaller ground, more likely to be full. Doesn't look as bad if it's not full. You could also argue that take. Do they get charged though? Would it would it be a matter of finances as well? It's like if we if we take you know if we get Wembley, we'll have to you know we have to pay X amount. No, well yeah, uh, I, don't, well, I, don't, well, I don't know. I'd I, imagine the I model think... is that you know obviously UEFA put on the tournament and then they'll they probably get yeah the individual stadiums probably do charge a hosting fee. But that will be factored mm. in when you bid for, you know, hosting the tournament in the first place. But like mm. Wembley, Wembley would only ever be used for the final anyway. It'd be like, take last year's Euros out of it because last year's Euros was a a unique like men's Euros. Last year's yeah. Euros was was a unique situation because it was a it was a multi city based tournament rather than a kind of host. So all the games that were in England were at Wembley. Whereas in a normal tournament situation where one one or two countries host it, they would save the big, you know, kind of national stadium place just for the final. Maybe the opening game, but normally just for the final. Um, so if England, for example, were to ever host the World Cup or, or the Euros properly again, yeah, that would definitely be the case. I'd imagine they'd play the opening game there and then the final. Um, so that's... But, but, you know, when you consider the stadiums that they've not used, you know, they've not used... The, like in London now... Tottenham Arsenal and the London Stadium at West Ham are massive sort of, you know, 50,000 plus um, stadiums. And instead they've used Brentford. Um, You've got uh, sort of Villa Park and a couple of other biggies in the Midlands that have not been used. Um, You've got 
Obviously, Old Trafford was used for one game and the Etihad, not touched. Anfield and Goodison, not touched. Uh, St. James's Park, Ellen Road. No. But I suppose you could also argue that putting it in places like Brighton and Sheffield and Milton Keynes and Bristol, they're kind of those second-tier cities that wouldn't typically get the opportunity to host big events like that. So maybe you could say that that could have an impact of you know, f- ensuring that they're full because the locals will be unaccustomed to you know, international events taking place in there. So, yeah, we'll see. But I do think it's, you know, it's good that uh, England got through, despite the fact that in, on the actual football itself, they probably were a bit uh, lucky. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Been, um, another another point on that was the, uh, I, and I don't want to dwell on this for too long, because why give him any more airtime than he deserves, but Lord Alan Sugar. <laughs> Lord yeah. Sugar, bloody hell. Um <laughs> who I do think he's now these days, he is a busted flush. He is a man who is kind of, you know, just hear the way he talks and things, even the way that he conducts himself on like The Apprentice. Like The Apprentice is a reflection of like business as it was in about 2005. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everyone now works, uh, you know, in these kind of... You lost my bloody money. Yeah, but, but just <laughs> the way that they all like are so... Um, kind of uh, deferential towards the ultimate leader. He can talk to them however he likes. They all sit there and fucking take yeah. it and allow themselves to be like worked <laughs> to the ground and treated like shit. They dressed up in like ridiculously to the nines, even though most of the tasks they end up doing involve like going and grabbing a load of like wet fish and sticking it on a stall and like trying to make the biggest profit on it and stuff. And like they're running around in the heat trying to do that in like a you know ridiculous like an Armani suit and a you know, a, a fucking really tight business dress with high heels. And you kind of think that's not how people dress for work anymore either. So the whole <laughs> thing is kind of out of step. So I do think, even though it's an entertaining programme in, in, in some respects, that, that and he himself, it, I think he's a reflection of like, you know, again, business as it was probably in the, the sort of, you know, Thatcher era onwards. And he uh, deemed it necessary to, classic like a bloke who thinks I have to comment on women's football, he didn't say anything about the game itself, but he, he just said in a tweet, I think on like Monday or Tuesday of last week, said, why is it that women can be pundits and commentators on men's football, but I'm not seeing any of the, the men, the ex-players, the pundits, the commentators um, working on the women's game. Then the next night, Ian Wright was on uh, as one of the pundits, uh, probably for the England game, and... Uh, Ian Wright, by the way, had been booked to um, be one of the main pundits for the Women's Euros over a year ago. So it was always going to be the case. And they'd been advertising that as such. So that's not bullshit. Like, you know, you can look back in the digital kind of archive of this. And he's not the only one, by the way. Like, you know, there's been loads of... Jonathan Pierce has been doing commentary. And um, Stephen Warnock's been on co-commentary on Five Live, etc. But Sugar, the self-importance and the arrogance is just staggering where he tweeted the next day saying, oh, I see the BBC have listened to me and they've got Ian Wright in, like, you know, high time or whatever. And like, Wrighty, fair play to him, just properly went for sugar, saying, like, you know, I've been booked for this for ages. Your point is completely, like, ill-founded and ignorant. And how arrogant do you have to be to think that the BBC saw you make a tweet, uh, knock out a tweet... Uh, saw that you were pissed off or making a point that there weren't enough men and then immediately got on the phone to me and write and then I just dropped everything and turned up that night for punditry to make you happy. It's, like, it's fucking ridiculous. And I was <laughs> like, there's so many like boring uh, sort of 97% sort of basic men who kind of fall into that trap of just... Like, if you don't like something or if you've got a point... like 
no one forces anyone to watch women's football any more than they force anyone to watch men's football, right? But I don't understand why I get so angry about it. I've seen, I've been, I've, I've, you know, I've seen evidence of some people saying, "Oh, what the fuck's this shit for?" On for and like, you know, how it's like, oh, this is, they're just ticking the the um, diversity box and play. no, like, if it, look, if you're going to genuinely argue in 2022 that women shouldn't be playing football, then really there's no helping you. You're you're you're, <laughs> you're done. Uh, you know, I certainly have got nothing to say to you. But but also, if it's on, right? Compared to the amount of airtime that men's football gets everywhere, all around the world, every day of the year, then even if you factor in these few precious weeks, the women's football would probably, its overall coverage would would, uh, contribute less than 1% of the overall kind of noise. And if if you really are that offended by it, just don't watch it. It's not so (laughs) ubiquitous that you can't avoid it. It's very easy to avoid you know, like I was saying earlier, it hasn't really caught fire in a way that a men's tournament would. So just ignore it. Like you say, oh, there's just some fucking idiots out there. But anyway, <laughs> and I suppose there's, there's a link between that. And, and I do have to say some people's attitude towards the transfer window. And looking at, like, you know, I had a little look before we came in today about, I do think, because I think it's relevant. When you're, when you're thinking about clubs and their transfer activity over the course of a you know, a spell when the window is open. The thing that really tells you kind of what's going on and who's investing a lot is that kind of, you know, the, the trade-off between, uh, you know, sales and purchases and what the kind of, you know, the net spend is. People always used to throw this at, um, at, at Liverpool a few years back when they would say, oh, yeah, Liverpool fans would sort of say, oh, but our net spend is really low, even though we spent big on, like, Virgil van Dijk and the goalkeeper. Um, because of really cashing in big on people like Coutinho and stuff, and uh, and they like people would argue that that means you know we've spent so much less than some of our rivals are going for the same sort of trophies, and that is true. And that's been a business model that has been used for a number of years now. The kind of you know, the, the Boston Red Sox kind of money ball approach, um, which um, I think prior to the Red Sox, a guy called Billy Bean pioneered it at a lower baseball team, which I can't I mean, remember. Oh. It's really annoying me. I should have checked that. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, and um, it it is really interesting. The Reds? Is it the Reds no, or something? No, 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 no it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not. Um, but anyway, um, when you kind of scroll through, you look at like who's been. I mean, like even like Leeds, right? For example, who haven't been making a lot of um, uh, headlines. Uh, in terms of like their transfer activity, because they're kind of going for that next level down in the market. They've signed m- about six players, and they're all around that. The most they've spent is nearly thirty million a player from RB Salzburg, and the least they've spent is five million. So they're all in that kind of you know like the fifteen, ten to between ten and twenty million is would sort of be their average. So they managed to spend ninety five million, but they've made uh, ninety six million back by selling Calvin Phillips and uh, Rafinha. And there's a lot of that going on. Even Manchester City, who you kind of... It's easy to categorise them as a club who um, are able, like PSG, to kind of spend without kind of any worries about your bottom line. Although, of course, they do have to be careful 
to comply with and financial fair play. They, so far, in this transfer window, have again made a profit, despite the fact that they have um, signed uh, Erling Haaland for 54 million quid, which, I mean, is probably going to be an absolute steal, and Calvin Phillips for nearly 44 million. They have, as things stand at the moment, made uh, an 11 or 12, nearly 12 million pound profit because they've sold Sterling and they've sold Jesus and they've sold uh, uh, Zinchenko. So, you know, that's, that's quite interesting because I think it shows you how a lot of these clubs, not even the ones who have kind of over the last few years kind of run themselves in that way, but even, you know, you Man City, despite the fact that they've got this kind of theoretically unlimited state resource, do have this intention. They they actually quite rarely go mad on a player. They they probably overspent on Jack Grealish last summer. I'd say maybe 100 million is a bit much for... I mean, he's a good player, very good player, but, you know, possibly a little bit much for a player who hadn't even played in the Champions League. Um, but, you know, again, like, I, I, I know that some of my Liverpool... Um, friend fans get really exasperated about the, the the ownership model and the way that they. But like Liverpool spent seventy seven and a half million pounds so far, and, you know. So again, an awful lot of money. I think sixty seven million on Darwin Nunes, which is, could go up depending on appearances and, and success, is the most at any um, of any deal so far this uh, summer. But again, they've only actually their net spend is only um, four and a half million pound because they've. Uh, they got 28 million for Mane, but then they've sold like fringe and youth players. Like they got 18 million for Nico Williams um, from Nottingham Forest. Minamino, who we signed um, from Salzburg a few years ago. They, again, they got about 14 million for him. Um, Marco Gruic, a fringe player who's barely played for us for years, gone to Porto for 8 million. And most remarkably of all, and I suppose this is the epitome of what, uh, if, you, if you have that, that type of business model, um, how it can work. Liverpool in the lockdown signed a player called Ben Davis when all the defenders were injured in the 20, um, 2021 season. When you know, and they signed a player called Ben Davis as kind of emergency cover for five hundred grand. And he never, even though we we had all those injuries, he never actually played a game. Spent last season on loan at Sheffield United, un, a completely unremarkable time. And he's just been sold to Glasgow Rangers for four and a half million. So we've had him for uh, two years. He hasn't played a single match. We spent half a million quid on him, and he's been sold for four and a half. I mean that that is crazy. You play, you know. I mean, I mean, it's brilliant business, but like, so it's really interesting. But my theory, maybe I should set up a football club and just yeah, buy and sell. Yeah, I mean, the initial outlay might be a bit of a bit of a problem. (laughs) Um, But it is interesting that, and I suppose it it is a reflection of the state that they've got themselves in that even though it's very clear that uh, Manchester United have attempted to go into this period of time with a different approach and they're not just throwing money around and like as the ludicrous sums like a billion quid they've famously wasted in a, the last nine years since uh, Ferguson retired uh, so they've obviously just thought okay this is a bit of a reset moment we've got Ten Hag in he's going to use his knowledge of the Dutch market. So the players they've sort of signed, even though they've spent quite chunky amounts on, um, um, particularly Martinez from Ajax, for 50 million quid. So that's a lot of money for a player who, you know, essentially has come from the Dutch and that can kind of go either way. Because the amount of players that they had, that they've offloaded, um, 
but the stage they were at in their career in terms of they were just massively overpaid and through their awful, pitiful performances have sort of deemed themselves worthless. Um, they've had to let a load of players go on kind of, you know, just like free transfers who ran their contracts down. So because they, they've, they've not got as many sellable assets, they've only brought in 8 million quid and outlaid 65.5 million quid. So they're, they're once again... Despite trying to switch the business model, their net spend is one of the biggest. It's nearly 56 million quid. Sorry, nearly 57 million quid. And that's a, a, an awful lot of money. And their main target this summer, Frankie de Jong, they're really struggling to get that one over the line. And if you believe the noise that's kind of coming out, a lot of that is not just because Barcelona, he's got a dispute with Barcelona about unpaid wages, but also I don't think he particularly wants to go there. I think ideally he'd like to stay at Barcelona and be part of their kind of rebuilding. Um and uh, if he has to move, join a club like Chelsea, who I think are a bit interested in, who offer him Champions League football and the, the greater possibility of immediate su- success. So, and, and, and just quickly, New- Newcastle are also quite interesting as well, because I think a lot of people just assume this is their first big transfer window, in, in a summer transfer window with the new owners. They're going to go kind of crazy. And yeah, they are, um, I think, the pro- I think the biggest net spenders as things currently stand, just under 60 million quid. But it is, you know, essentially on three players, uh, you know, a goalkeeper from Burnley and then a guy they already had on loan from Villa last season and then Botman from Lille as a central defender for 33 million quid. So it's it's not like the old days. I remember when, like, Blackburn Rovers were taken over by the Venki Chicken Group, the, um, a consortium of um, businessmen uh, from India. Mm-hmm. And they were all these crazy ideas of, oh, we're going to try and get Ronaldinho and all this sort of nonsense. And when Man City first got their money and they went and, and got Rob, Robinho. So it was all about when these investors first got hold of clubs, it was just by like the showy signings. And it does seem to be maybe a little bit more reason um, in football. But surprisingly, just before we finish, I don't know things not showing on my screen. 38 minutes. Okay, cool. Just quickly, Nottingham Forest, who have only just been promoted, and I do think there's a risk here. I'm not, I don't have massive detail of what their ownership structure is and how deep their pockets are, but it's always a risk because Fulham did it a couple of years ago when they got promoted and they essentially bought an entirely new squad. They never gelled properly. The new players completely underperformed and they got relegated and, you know, with a big hole in their budget. And Forest actually do have at the moment a, a bigger net spend than anyone else. 69 million quid for a newly promoted team. Not just newly promoted, but a team who haven't benefited from Premier League money for uh, 25 years. So that's what that will all be coming from, um, you know, offsetting its projected earnings and owners putting their hands in the pocket, I guess. And that, I mean, I hope it works for him because I've said on here before how I have this kind of, you know, respect and nostalgia for Forest being a kind of an elite Premier League team. Um, and it's an you know an, a fixture with some weight on it. But they, 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 to be fair, for that money, they've signed a lot of players. They've got about like twelve players in some on loan and some for kind of you know five, six, seven million quid. But you know they spent um, Awaini from uh, Union Berlin nineteen million quid to spend eighteen million on Nico Williams, who is a Welsh international, but he's ultimately a, you know a second or third choice right back from Liverpool. Is you know there's some risks in there. They've signed players from like the Championship and. Um, kind of lower Bundesliga. So, yeah, I hope it works out for them. But that's a risk. You know, they're coming up for the first time in a long time and they're, they're, they're uh, you know, spending 70 million. 
Big stuff, Matt. So we'll we'll see. But it is hotting up, and obviously now there's only as things stand, there are two weeks until the was it a week and a half? Week and a half until the charity shield, and then two weeks until the um, the Premier League season starts, um, which means the, there's another like six weeks until the transfer window closes. So yeah, <laughs> oh, I can Lots barely contain my excitement. <laughs> yeah, um, but we'll wrap up there. Uh, thank you for coming, Matthew. Pleasure. Yeah. Uh, and on the bombshell of your um, crackers in the dry heat eating a revelation, <laughs> it's time to say for another week, thank you for listening and goodbye from Football Unfocused. <laughs>